Liverpool Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now, your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. Hi, and welcome. Thanks for tuning in to the Paul Leslie Hour. And today is the 67th birthday of Greg Fingers Taylor. There's a very nice man, David G. Spigner, who posted my interview with Greg Fingers Taylor on the Buffett News Group on Facebook. And first of all, I have to thank him for doing that. If you're listening to this podcast, you are hearing the digitally remastered version of that interview. When I think about interviews that are the essence of what this show is about, I can't help but think of Greg Fingers Taylor. Because of health reasons, he's no longer able to perform or record. He hasn't been able to communicate for some time, which makes this interview all the more precious. Greg Fingers Taylor has been called the original Coral Reefer. His relationship with Jimmy Buffett went back many, many years to the very beginning, before the fame and all of that. And I want to tell you a little bit about Greg Fingers Taylor and what exactly he did. He was a harmonica player, a recording and performing artist, a songwriter, and this interview was conducted with the harmonica legend Greg Fingers Taylor on September 1st, 2006. I remember we were outside of this very nice barn in Northeast Georgia. It was the night before my birthday, and he spoke very candidly. Through the years, a lot of people have mentioned this interview. Greg Fingers Taylor was someone that people repeatedly told me I needed to interview. Everyone spoke with him with such reverence, and I think it's because he's such an incredible artist, a great songwriter, and if you've ever gotten the chance to see him perform, it's something that you will never forget. Some of the albums that Greg Fingers Taylor recorded would include Harpoon Man, Chest Pains, New Fingerprints, and the last one was called Hi-Fi Baby. I have to say, if you get a chance, look those recordings up and listen to them. They're incredible blues recordings. In addition to being a singer and harmonica player, Fingers also played the keyboards, which is where he got his name. I had the opportunity to see him perform on keyboards, and it was something very unique. He also wrote a number of songs. He wrote Big Rig, which Buffett recorded. He also co-wrote Miss You So Badly with Jimmy Buffett. He worked with a lot of great artists in the studio. He recorded with James Taylor, Jerry Jeff Walker, Chris Ledoux, Al Cooper, Jimmy Hall, the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band, Michael Nesmith, Bo Diddley. I could keep on going. It's a shame that Fingers Taylor can no longer communicate with everybody because as you're going to hear in this interview, he gave a great interview. He had that natural kind of relaxed way of communicating with people. And I'm glad that so many people have listened to this interview and so many people have commented on it. His brother told me, Brent Taylor is his brother's name, that this was the most complete oral history that his brother ever gave. I'm thinking of Greg Fingers Taylor today on his birthday I'm going to be listening to a little bit of his music later and fondly reminiscing. I hope you all enjoy this interview. Please let me know what you think. I've waited a long time to interview the legendary Greg Fingers Taylor. Here we are on the eve of my 25th birthday and I sit down with the Harpoon Man. How are you doing, Fingers? I'm doing good. Out here in the in the hills of Georgia, uh playing some music for some people and eating some good food. It's good to see you. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I really appreciate it. 
I wanted to get back to kind of uh, your roots. Uh, you come from Jackson, Mississippi. That's right. I wasn't born there. I was born in Wichita, Kansas. And um, I, I was in Wichita basically until I was 14 years old. I'm 54 now. Um, Wichita was uh, actually a pretty good R&B town at that point. There was a guy named Mike Finnegan who played the organ. It was my hero. He played the B3 organ. I used to see him play all the time. Lots of great musicians came through Wichita, R&B players like Sam and Dave and Wilson Pickett and played the Cotillion Ballroom there. So I finally moved to, uh, but before I moved from Wichita, I became a big Beatles fan. I had me and my two compadres, Dave and Dan, and uh, we tried everything to meet girls, you know, and um, we joined the track team. We weren't very good at that and played some baseball. We weren't very good at that. So uh, we began to hear these Beatles guys, they part five, and a lot of the English invasion bands on the radio. And they were all basically R&B-based um, units, you know what I mean? So uh, I was I was hearing that, especially the day part five. They had a sax player, they had a real big sound, the drums were turned up loud, and I liked that. So... Uh, I formed a band with my guys, and uh, we met girls, and we had fun. And well, I don't know how good we were at that point, but we sure loved the music a lot. And somewhere in there, um, when I was about 15 or 16, I started listening to uh, blues records. Uh, Muddy Waters, uh, Little Walter Jacobs, uh, Sonny Boy Williamson, one and two, there were two of them. And I just loved the way that the music sounded, you know. And uh, got deep off into the blues. And um, I uh, I ended up in Jackson, Mississippi. And I was 14 when we moved. And uh, I uh, I was just, I was so excited because I was going to where the, the Delta Blues came from, to, to the Mississippi Delta right around Jackson, Mississippi, where I was from. So, anyway, I uh, I learned to love the blues, and I started a little blues band when I was in high school in Jackson, and um, just sort of went from there. And, my, um, and the instrument that I really liked to hear was the harmonica. I thought it was a very expressive instrument. And, um, it was a little different. And also, at one of the Battle of the Bands we had, uh, the guy in, in the band that won blew a little harmonica. And drove everybody crazy just by the sound of it. Didn't play very good. But I filed that away. And uh, once I got down to college and at the University of Southern Mississippi in Hattiesburg, uh, I was pretty well blowing the harmonica all the time. And I carried it around with me. That was another thing because my nickname, Fingers, came from being a keyboard player back when I was in high school. But then I largely became a harmonica player, so I kind of got the wrong name. You know, it should have been Lips or something like that. <laughs> but um, uh, down at, at uh, Southern, I, I learned how to play the harp. I sat around in, like, the stairwells on the weekend uh, at the university. There weren't many people there. There weren't many people there on the weekend. So we, uh, I would play and practice, and I formed a little band down there. And just one thing led to another, and then... This guy, Jimmy Buffett, came through one time when I was in my uh, sophomore year. And he was playing what we called the Union Building there, which was basically a couple of 
uh, soda machines, uh, a PA that didn't hardly work, and uh, uh, a couple of beat-up microphones, you know. And so I, by that point, I was jamming with a lot of the groups that came through at the Southern, at the big Coliseum we had there. And I played with Delaney and Bonnie and the Dirt Band and uh, Black Oak, Arkansas, and just about any, anybody who came through town. I got up on the big stage for the first time. So then I was definitely hooked. And um, Buffett was playing that night at the Union Building one night, and I uh, sat down, and, and there were three little old ladies on break from night class. And that was it. And Buffett with a big Ted Gala hat on back then. He had lots of hair. We all did. And uh, uh, he was singing, Why Don't We Get Drunk? And two, three little old ladies for Hattiesburg Housewives, you know, on break with quilting class or something. I don't know. Anyway, we hooked up over the next week. He had a week-long gig there. And I started playing every night with him. And by the third or fourth night, we had, we were selling the house out. And uh so we kind of, we kind of, uh, realized that, uh, we had something together that, that neither one of us had a part and that it was a, it was a good, uh, combination. He wanted somebody who could play more solos. He was, was never a solo guitar player. You know, he was a folk, folky strummer, you know, and a good one, but he didn't play lead guitar. So I took up the lead spots on the harmonica. And, um, you know, more time ensued. I went to I went back to Little Rock. Jimmy eventually wound up in Nashville. I wound up in Memphis, where I was part of a band called Larry Raspberry and the High Stuffers. We were like a we were on Stax Records, and uh, we did one album. Stax was unfortunately getting ready to go bankrupt by the time we hooked up with the, with the company. But um, anyway, I uh, went on the road with Larry Raspberry and the High Stuffers. Left college. Uh, started up in about 1972 is when we first hit the road, I believe. And we toured the United States and had a ball, played with a lot of great musicians. We almost kind of made it big, you know, but Stax was, like I said, going under. And, um, meanwhile, Jimmy had ke- and I had kept up with each other and I had gone on a few, uh, gigs with him, acoustic gigs, just the two of us. Uh, while I was still in school at Southern. And, uh, he would, even when I was with Larry Raspberry and on the road all the time, when he got ready to do his records for ABC Dunhill, the first three or four records, he called me up for all those sessions, no matter where I was. Time for a new album, he would fly me into Nashville. And I got to play with all the great Nashville players, you know, Vassar Clements and just a bunch of great players. So, anyway, in 19, about 1975, or late 74, uh, the High Steppers was about, to, were about to break up, um, Stax was going under the record company, but Buffett was just getting cranked up, and he was, uh, had three albums behind his belt by then, and he, uh, said, you want to go on the road? I got a, I got a, a bus. It wasn't like a, a real fancy one like we wound up with, uh, years and decades later, but it was a bus. And we had bunks in it, so we could sleep and just keep moving. So I quit college altogether and, and uh, hit the highway. And I've been out there ever since. Uh, you know, I took a couple of breaks at points just to get off the road, get my health back every now and then. It's a grueling existence. But um, 
at any rate, you know, and I, I continued just to pursue the harmonica in a whole lot of different ways. And, and the guy who really made a difference, uh, for me and, and a lot of other Chicago style harmonica players was a guy named Little Walter Jacobs. And, um, I totally got off into Little Walter and he's still the king. I mean, nobody ever really beat what he did in the fifties. And he was actually a star back then. What so was unusual for a harmonica player to be a big star. At any rate, it, um, you know, it just kept on rolling. And I worked on, on with Buffett through many, many more albums. And, uh, uh, I took, uh, decided to leave him in 2001 to be with my family. I had two new baby boys. They're now seven and eight years old, Hunter and Steven. And, um, I just wanted to be home more. I think Jimmy and I were both a little tired of each other. And it was, uh, it was a good time to take a break. And, um, and, and in those years, in the, the years following up to, you know, just recently, I went back and played with Buffett again for the first time since 2001. I, I did, uh, a show with him in Cincinnati, uh, at, uh, Riverbend Coliseum. And then I, uh, I wound up uh, in the studio with him in Muscle Shoals, Alabama, where they were, uh, uh, working on his new record, one that'll be out in October, and also a soundtrack for a movie called Hoot. Uh, it's a children's movie that he was in and, and produced. So, um, I'm gonna be seeing him in a couple of weeks in, in Detroit, and, you know, I'll be, uh, probably get up on stage again, and then he has some things he wants to talk to me about. He's breaking ground for a, uh, uh, casino in Las Vegas, his own casino. And there's a chance that I might get to, to have a little piece of that deal as a little Fingers Taylor type of club. Yeah. So, and have my buddies come through, and I don't know not anything about running a, a club, but I could have somebody who did know, and then I could just sort of be the figurehead, and you know, and I'd, I'd know who to hire and who not to. I know who's good. So, uh, that may happen. We'll see. We'll know something more in a few weeks. Well, I wanted to ask you, what is it that you think makes the blues the blues? For me, it's always been a feeling. Yep. It's a feeling, and to me, uh, you know, I, I told you this in Key West one time, your music has gotten me into a lot of trouble in the past. Yeah, because, uh, you know, I live in Athens. It's hard to go to class when you hear the blues. Yeah, I know. Because you, you feel like drinking another beer. That's right. You feel like maybe smacking the backside of a woman you've never met. Well, that's true. So... What is it that attracted you to the blues? Man, I don't know for sure. I think that I identified with the soul and the feeling that was involved in that music. I love the simplicity of it, the expressiveness. And, um, you know, when I was still 14 and 15, I went through a kind of a traumatic time with, uh, uh, a girlfriend of mine and you know that kind of stuff but i i felt really down and and when i listened to the blues records i felt better yeah <laughs> so i said hmm this is kind of cool and i guess i was probably like drown trying to drown in my own sorrow or something but then later i began to appreciate the blues as uh a happy music what regardless if it's a sad song right i'm talking the way the beat goes the jump you know i want to i want to get up and dance i want to 
have fun, you know, I want to blow my harp, you know, I want to listen to the blues, dance to the blues. And so I think it's therapeutic music. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it'll it'll cure your blues. You know? It's like uh, the, the Keith Sykes song, Advanced Medication for the Blues. There you go. That's right, man. Well, tell us about Keith. You you and Keith are buddies. Yeah. And he certainly is a, a hell of a songwriter. Mm-hmm. So tell me about Keith. Well, you know, Keith came on board uh, as a coral reefer. He was always like a friend of Buffett's and Jerry Jeff Walker's down in Key West and in the inner circle that Buffett had down there. Uh, and a great songwriter always. But he... Um, he joined up with the band at about um, 76, 77, about the time we did Volcano. And he went down to Montserrat at George Martin Studio uh, with us and James Taylor and Huey Taylor and Livingston Taylor, all the Taylor brothers. Um, and we did, made the album Volcano, which is like one of the great times of our lives. It was a, a real special time. Uh, it was like being a caveman again. You know, there was something about that place. It was like, you know, you wanted to go down to your loincloth. So, uh, and we made a lot of good music down there. It was a real inspiring place. And uh, Keith was in on all that. And, of course, he wrote, you know, the great song, Close to Marseille. Yeah. I just saw... Um, uh, Keith in New Orleans like two weekends ago they were having a songwriter convention and I have a guy that I play with in uh, Columbus, Ohio named Ken Moore who's in a, a folk singer acoustic player and he got his book down there at the songwriter convention this year and Keith was working the same deal so we all ran into each other and Keith and I played together for the first time in many years just the two of us we did Coast of Marseille and you know the whole nine yards it was great we had ball he's doing good one of one of the great songwriters you know and a great nymphian and he, he could be a real rocker too he did some rocking stuff a lot of his solo records were rock and roll records he's also the first guy that ever introduced me to a song called jackson police it was written by uh, a friend of his up uh, north of Memphis named John Kilzer. Uh, still a great songwriter. He's still around. And um, Keith was producing some sides on me at that time at Arden Studios in Memphis. So um, he uh, he brought the song in and we cut it like in one take. And, you know, and I ended up... Uh, you know, I've done it a couple of different ways, but the one that Keith Keith produced has uh, never really truly been released. The one I ended up doing that was released was on my solo record called Chess Pains that was produced by Mike Utley uh, in the uh, early 80s. I hear there's going to be a big time in Key West this year because Jerry Jeff's coming down, Jerry Jeff Walker. Uh, I think Buffett is maybe coming to Key West. It's called the Meeting of the Minds, you know what that So... And uh, Keith will be there, Buffett, Jerry Jeff, uh, Hugo Duarte, uh, I'm sure Jeff Pike, all, all the Parrothead singers, yeah. people will be there. It's going to be a good time. There's a guy I've been listening to that you kind of ran with uh, for a while, and I, I really started to appreciate him. He's named, uh, his name is Tim Crackle. Oh, yeah. And you've written some songs with uh, with Tim. Yep. And... You have a lot of in common, I guess. Yeah, we do. Uh, Tim was, was uh, he entered the, the Coral Reefer band about 1976, 
And I, I had been hanging out with him in Nashville some, so I knew who he was, and I, I, I talked up with him to hire him. And he's a great asset to the band. He's a great songwriter, a great rocker. And um, Tim and I are actually playing together in a couple weekends uh, at, a, at a blues festival over in Kentucky. So we're going to get to do it all over again, have a little fun for a couple of days. And uh, Crack was doing great, man. He still writes a lot of songs in Nashville. He's got, in fact, a new song just done that he wrote with uh, a guy named uh, Danny O'Keefe, the guy that wrote um, Mr. Charlie's Got the Blues. And uh, it's going to be released on a uh, Alan Jackson record. And it came at a good time because he just lost his publishing deal, <laughs> his longtime publishing deal But Crackles. Got him a cut now. He's got him a cut. Got him a hit. So that's good news. What kind of music in your spare time? What What's the stuff that's in your... My collection? Your collection. What do you like? Well, man, you know, I like a, a, lot, of, a lot of areas of black music. I, of course, I like the blues and soul and uh, funk. And I... Um, I just listen to a lot of stuff. I listen to a lot of hillbilly music, white white country music, very uh, old timey stuff. I love bluegrass. Um, you know, I, I like a lot. As long as they're, uh, you know, roots music. As long as it's roots music, I could identify with that. You know. In fact, when I was I was in college uh, for a while way back uh, at, at uh, University of UALR, Little Rock, and. Uh, my brother-in-law, my first brother-in-law to be, uh, was a banjo picker, and he turned me on to bluegrass and got me started on the whole deal. And we used to, on the weekends, we would go up to a place called Mountain Home, Arkansas, and they would all the great bluegrass players from miles around would come every Saturday night and play on the at the courthouse on the lawn. And, uh, so I got into bluegrass, learned how to play all that kind of stuff. You know, I still go back and listen to the blues a lot. I, I, it's just, you know, it's kind of my schooling. I'm probably going to be doing a lot of that woodshedding kind of thing here coming up before I go play uh, in Wilmington, North Carolina, and Richmond coming up in about two or th- in about three weeks. And that's going to be with Magic Dick, the guy who was with the Jay Giles Band, great harmonica player. Also another great harmonica player from the West Coast being Mark Hummel. And his band are going to be the backup band. And the three of us are going to, you know, do a, a couple of shows over that part of the country. So I'm really looking forward to that. i got to go do some, i got to get, get, my, get my chops together because these guys don't fool around. <laughs> as far as harmonica players go, as a blues harp player, who would you have to give the respect to? Oh, it would definitely be Little Walter. And as far as living harmonica players, it would be Kim Wilson with the Fabulous Thunderbirds. He's also the stepfather to my boys and uh, a good friend for many, many, many years. And uh, he is uh, as close as you'll get to Little Walter of anybody alive, without a doubt. Incredible harp player. But there's all kinds of harmonica players. So we were talking about earlier about uh, Howard Levy. Uh, he is just a monster harmonica. I'm trying to remember what was the name of that band that he was with for so many years. Oh gosh, let me see. I'm getting distracted. Um. Oh man, you know what it is. Anyway, the guy is a phenomenal harmonica player. He doesn't really. Well, he's not a blues player, but he can. He can like 
take one C harmonica and blow up and down it and do the, all the scales. He overblows. Sort of like the guy in the Blues Travel, John Popper. John Popper. But, uh, but Levy can just take this and just walk it up all the way. That means you got to overblow the low notes, which is almost impossible to do. A lot of those high notes that you hear me playing on the end, like on Tampico Trauma, that's overblowing. But that's on the higher four or five notes, and it's an easier bend. But Levy bends them on the bottom and gets entire, he gets, probably gets two or three scales out of one tiny blues, blues harp, you know. So, I mean, and there, there's there's new guys coming up all the time. There's guys around, and it's, it's, uh, it's still a very... Uh, vital instrument, you know, and, and people seem to, their personality uh, comes out for such a small instrument. Yeah. It, it, it really does assume someone's personality or vice versa, you know what I mean? So that it's uh, it's a little personal kind of instrument. I liked it originally because uh, I was a, like, I got my nickname Fingers from being a keyboard player. And, you know, I told you the story about hearing the guy blow the harp at the Battle of Bands and stuff. And then later on, I was... I got so tired of, of lifting big B3 organs and pianos upstairs so that we could go play. That was before they had portable stuff. So uh, it just became a lot easier for me to stick that harmonica in my pocket. I could practice anytime I wanted, you know. I could, you know, it was, e it was easy. It was portable. <laughs> as, as far as the future goes... Do, do you intend to put out another record or? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's in the very, very, very beginning stages, but, uh, I already have, uh, several ideas about who I want to use. Uh, there's a great blues band in Nashville, uh, Mike Henderson and the Blue Bloods. And, uh, I'm thinking about using them for the basic band. And then I'll probably have several of my buddies, uh, come in. Kim Wilson was in, what produced my last record. Uh, we did that in Ann Arbor, and I might fly him to Nashville to produce part of this one. So, uh, oh yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm just slow to do it, and I, I tell you what, I'm really lucky this summer and the spring and, and the fall is turning out to be such a busy time. The money's been good, which we all needed as <laughs> players. So, um, you know, I'm glad for that, but it takes me a long time to get an album together. I have to think about it and do this and that. I don't write a whole lot, so I have to get together with co-writers, and uh, I already have plans to do a lot of that. Plus, I find I know a lot of the songwriters in Nashville. They'll send me stuff that they think might work for me. I need to go in there and write some more long tunes. I want to ask you about a couple of, of my favorite of your tunes. One of my favorites is Good Rockin' One. Really? I wrote that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so tell me about that one. Man, when we were getting ready to do the Chess Pains record, remember that one? Yeah. I needed, I needed a, I wanted to put a shuffle, a blues shuffle on there. I see. Which wife was I with? My second one. And and um, I was, uh, but the song is not really about any woman in particular. It's it's just a blues song. That's what I kept trying to tell my exes. It's not about her. It's not about her. It's not about you. It's just a damn blues number. And and I I I wrote lyrics like the old guys, you know. About, Good rockin' woman, shake it all night long, blah, blah, blah. You know, I just use the idiom 
as it uh, as it's meant to be used. And um, so, you know, that was a fun track. I had Anson, the great Anson Thunderbird on I mean, on guitar, and uh, then I had um, uh, West Star, a great, great shuffle blues drummer from Texas. I had a lot of great players on that cut, so we could. A lot of the chest pains record was actually done on machines. Because that was that was the age, first age of the drum machine kind of thing, and it was cheaper for us to use the drum machine and blah blah blah. So anyway, I uh, that's all. That's just no blue song. I kind of like it though. I still like it. I listened to it in the car today when we were coming up here. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, um, Paul played it. Song. There's uh, there's the one song that you wrote. Uh, yeah. With, I think he wrote this. I'm trying to remember who you wrote this with, but it's it's one of your signature songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, Some white people can dance. Yeah, that was actually we were at Buffett Studio in Key West, and we were all just kind of hanging out. We were getting ready to go to Australia, yeah, with the whole Buffett band and uh, a lot of our buddies and stuff. And we were in Buffett Studio, and I, I said, you know, we need to. You guys need to write me a song, and they started writing it actually. And then I got in with them. It was Crackle and me and Buffett and um, who else? Maybe I, like, my cousin. And they, they were always making fun of me because I was always like the, you know, the, the guy who listened to the blues all day and all that kind of stuff. So the white people, black people, kind of you know, stereotypes and all kind of shit. But um, <laughs> anyway. Uh, that's where that came from. Then we took it to L.A. When we were on the way to Australia, we stopped in L.A. and cut it. We cut it with uh, Bonnie Bramlett and uh, oh, about Larry Raspberry and uh, different, different players. Steve Cropper on guitar from Memphis, legendary Steve Cropper. And um, so that was, then we cut it. And then we went on to Australia and hung around for about a month and came back and... Uh, then we uh, we still had the track. The track still sounded good, so we just kept. I just kept it until the rest of the albums we put together. Anyway, that's the story of that one. What was? The, didn't Ed Bradley have something to do with that song? You know, he might have. I think he might have been in the studio, like playing tambourine or something. Uh-huh. He liked to show up at our shows a lot. Probably still does. Take his tambourine, beat it all over the place. <laughs> He always liked hanging out with us. We liked hanging out with him. Nice guy. Great guy. What was he like? Just a just a, a real cool cat, you know, very, you know, obviously intelligent and uh, well-spoken and worldly and all that kind of stuff. But he loved to get down and have a little fun. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You know, you, you can't imagine, the, what was his name, Ted? What's his name? The newscaster? Ted Koppel? No, no, you can't imagine Ted Koppel, like, hanging out with uh, No. No. <laughs> you know, so... Uh, yeah, Ed, Ed uh, I'm sure, still shows up some of the shows. There's a couple of songs where I think I thought when I heard it, I'd say, that sounds like Finger's voice. Um, I know you had a hand in in uh, in helping produce the, the Margaritaville Cafe in New yes. Orleans. It, on the, the Iguana song, uh, I Like Eating With Fingers, is that you that says, don't get greasy now? No, no, I, I think that was probably Joe Cabal, the sax player. Oh, yeah? I thought that was you. He, no, he's, he sang, uh, I mean, uh, 
he uh, he sang that one totally. That was funny, man. You know, I don't. Did you ever hear that whole CD? Oh yeah. Yeah, you know, I found one more copy in New Orleans when I was there a couple of weeks ago. And I picked it up. I mean, most people don't even know about that record. And I thought it, yes. it, it I thought it was, uh, I'm real proud of what me and Utley did with the stuff. And um, it was so much fun being the A&R guy, you know, uh, discovering these new talents and yeah. people that nobody knew about. The Iguanas were just super, man. I, they just decided one day to, to write that thing. It was pretty funny. But, uh, Anyway, I've been a lucky guy. I've had a lot of fun, man. I made a lot of records. Buffett's new record is in the can and ready to come out. And um, we did. We finished that up in Muscle Shoals, I might mention. Um, what did you think of the new album? I love what I've heard of it. Really? I absolutely did. And I, it's been a while since I went on Jimmy's record. just really knocked me out. I, yeah. I think that a lot of his later output has been very good, and, and but um, it didn't sell that well. So, of course, the Alan Jackson thing came along. This one is sort of a combination of what he was doing before the country stuff again and um, and a little bit of a country kind of deal. He's got a great song about the Floribama. Yeah. And, all, and uh, I think that's going to be a hit. The production is excellent. Utley and Mac and their engineer, Alan, just did a fine job. Very strong, uh, big sound. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm on a, I'm on three cuts. Yeah. Not playing a whole lot, but we got one rocker on there. It's called uh, Somebody's on the Phone. My cell phone. And uh, I got to blow a little of my little Walter style harp on that one instead of the acoustic bubble style. I always like to get a couple of those in. <laughs> did you ever think that you would be back doing anything with Buffett, or did you think it probably wasn't going to happen? I, was, I have to say, I was a little surprised. <laughs> you know what I mean? Surprised that, he, that I'm doing things with him again? Yeah. Well, I am too. I mean, it was just sort of like like this gig that I'm telling you about in Cincinnati at Riverview. A guy that I worked with, a guy, Ken Moore, from Columbus, Ohio, he had booked us a gig in this huge complex. There's like a Coney Island kind of place, and they had a small amphitheater, right? Tiny amphitheater. We were playing on that stage. That stage. We played a couple sets of the damn sign. I was about to keel over. So I went backstage and said, well, we just got to rest for a while before we drive back to wherever the hell we were. And uh, I got a phone call on my cell phone. Uh, it was Mac McAnally. Says we we know you're we know you're there and uh <laughs> that's, that's yeah the media recovery media coverage man shit. Um and Mac says don't go anywhere. We'll send the roadies down from the big stage. The big stage is just over the hill. So he got uh, his roadies to come down and get my amplifiers, and we had to go, like, through the crowd to get to the stage, but we made it, and then I got up and played uh, Fins, and I played organ on Margaritaville, and then uh, I played, um, uh, seemed like one more tune, I can't remember, maybe just those two, they were the encore, and, and that's when Jimmy said, we need to sit down and talk because I got something uh, I want to talk to you about. And I, I believe that's probably the the uh, casino deal, maybe. So we'll see. I'll, I'll find out in a couple of weeks. I, I called McAnally and uh, 
told him that I would be in town and I would be there and to get me some tickets and that hopefully maybe he could ask Jimmy if he had a minute to sit down with me and just kind of at least tell me what is going on. Mm-hmm. But that would be great. You know, I think he's thinking about me. I think he's thinking about retirement for me and for everybody else finally, you know. We never had any kind of regular retirement, but he's thinking about us, you know, and he'll he'll probably get it to us in different ways. You mean Jimmy retirement? Jimmy. Well, no, we're, well, we're talking about retirement for our old asses. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but do you, think, do you think he's getting ready to... You never can tell about Jimmy. He's like, I would have thought he would have retired by now. I mean, he's not a young guy anymore. He'll be 60. Yes, sir. And But you know what? He's, he takes care of himself. He's he's vibrant. He's still mind works well. He's writing great. Uh, he's singing great. So who knows? And he likes to make money. Yes, that's the and truth. I think probably when you get to that point that you have to make a lot of money. Yeah. Just to cover your bases and to, you know, fill your airplanes and take care of your boats when you're not on them. <laughs> so, you know, he's got a big uh, a big, uh, big pile of money he needs to make every year. I, I really can't predict how much longer he'll do it, but I wouldn't be surprised if he did until he was 65. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you ever, I'm sure you get tired of answering this, but do you ever think you would play a bunch of dates with, tour dates with Jimmy again? That's a good question, man. I think he is. I think why he's, that's why he's thinking about me. He knows that the road is, is whipping my ass. You know, he said he came up to me when he was on stage in Cincinnati and said, man, you don't have to keep doing this the rest of your life. You know, he knows that the road's been whipping my butt. So, uh, I would certainly do it. I'm, I'm still a road dog and I can go out there and play all night. I, have to, I might hurt a lot more after the gig. <laughs> but, uh, I can still do it, and but he's got a cool little band right now. And he's got you know who Sonny Landreth is. That oh yeah, he's got Sonny Landreth on fucking guitar. He's got this little guy from Hawaii. I don't know his name. Jake. Jake. Shimo. Jake. Was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jake the Snake or Jake Portland. And he's cool, man. You know, he plays that ukulele like Hendrix and dances all over the stage. He's great energy. He got rid of the dancing girls. He's got, you know, he's he's got a home down to a really good tight band. Mm-hmm. And I think he's having a lot a lot of fun with it. I think he's glad that all the. A lot of the showbiz stuff and all the dancing girls and all of the horns and everything. I think he's glad that they're gone. Because I think he, he just really wanted to pare it down and he's got a unit that can do it. They're all, every, everyone on that stage is top notch and um, they give him what he wants. And they won't give him no trouble. He ain't got any fucking losers or drug addicts or anybody else. It seems like every, I've interviewed just about all of the coral reefers and it seems like all of them eventually start talking about you because they say, you know, well, Kurt Fingers, All right. he's... I got to get up there, I think. All right. Can we continue this? We will. We'll take another break. And just go. We'll be back. As I was saying, it seems like every time I talk to one of the, the, the reefers, inevitably they'll start talking about you. And, uh, you know, they, like Utley, uh, all of them, really. So what I was wondering... Is there any person in the band that you feel you're closer to than the others? Like you feel kind of a kinship, you know what I mean? Um, yeah, sure. You know, I uh, had several good buddies in the band, you know. Uh, uh, Mac McAnally, of course, is a good friend, and, and I've known Mike Utley for many, many, many years. 
And um, Amy Lee was a good friend of mine, too. So, you know, I miss seeing her on stage with Jimmy. But uh, she's up there in Atlanta somewhere, still flying out and doing gigs and working Parrothead stuff. I need to give her a call, but I haven't even had a chance since I've been here. Um, but, um, yeah, you know, me and Utley always hung out. Um, um, been a lot of good folks come through the band, you know, that I, uh, they were all buddies, friends of mine, in one way or another. You know. It was, uh, you don't spend, you know, spill out your, your guts every night and go down the highway and the airplanes and, and all that kind of stuff and not get close to people when you work with them in that kind of situation, you know. So they were all a, a real nice bunch of folks. Over the years, man, I, you know, there were, there were a couple of them that came through the band that were pretty crazy, but hell, I was pretty close to them, too. So, anyway. Are there any memories, like, either from the ba- the old days back in the 70s or any, any of the decades, really? Uh, are there any memories that kind of stick out in your mind? Oh. Not just not just with the Coral Reapers, but just in music in, in general or in your life. Um, well, you know, uh, I mentioned that James Taylor and his brothers, Huey and uh, Livingston and Alex, who's now gone. Alex was a good friend of mine and a blues man. So um, uh, I, I got to know James in Montserrat when we were recording. And he and I immediately struck up a friendship <laughs> of craziness. Yeah, he was still pretty crazy at that point. He's doing really good now, but we were both nuts. But he ended up taking me he ended up take, taking me out with his band. I toured a whole summer with Buffett and then went right from Buffett's tour to James's tour, which was another three months. So I was toast by the time it was over. But um, it was uh, playing with James and the quality musicians that he had, like Leland Sklar on uh, bass guitar and Russ Conkle or Rick Morata on the drums. Uh, you know, Don Garulnik, who unfortunately passed uh, a few years back, great keyboard player, very nice man. He produced a lot of uh, James's later records. Um, that was a real treat because I, I was really working with some serious Serious players, very serious players. All of them crazy, but I think sometimes the serious ones are the crazy ones. I like asking this question a lot. When you were out in the road with the Reapers and you weren't playing music, the downtime, what was your favorite thing to do if if if, if, it, can, if it's suitable for airplay? Well, I don't I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I like to go out on a few dates every every now and then with the ladies. So I uh, we used to vibe a little bit out there on the road, have a few uh, rum drinks, and uh, we were especially bad in the seventies. <laughs> other uh, even other substances were involved. <laughs> Made for a very crazy mix. But somehow we lived through it, and we had a good time, and we never got arrested, <laughs> which could have happened at any point. <laughs> Is it true that the women like the harmonica players better than the other band members? And I don't know, man. You know, it all depends. I was say this that, that, the, that the tongue is involved in, in harmonica playing quite a lot. Yeah. 
and uh, you know, these are do your little dances up there, your little tribal dance. <laughs> Just a little harp in my hand. Who knows? Now I get too old for all that shit. I'm going to look at us anymore. <laughs> look at those old guys. <laughs> my God, it's the young man, the man's business now. But uh, we would we would actually go do really cool shit. I mean, uh, you know, when we were we spent a lot of time in Chicago. Uh, used to go. I just loved going to Chicago, going out Michigan Avenue, going to record stores, going down by the by the lake and the, and the whole thing. Um, Frisco was especially cool back in the seventies. We got had a lot of fun in San Francisco, L.A. L.A. was always fun to me. I liked it. I still do. Um, it was always something to do, man. <laughs> you know, not all of it was real good for us, but uh, we actually did do a lot of sightseeing. We saw a lot of the world. You know, I, I got to tour Europe a lot. Actually, not with Buffett. He never really went to Europe and played so maybe Paris and stuff a bunch of ago. He never was a European phenomenon. We went to Australia twice and that was very cool New Zealand and although Jimmy you know it was funny we didn't sell that many tickets over there he's, he's really an American kind of phenomenon yeah. and I'm sure that's just fine with him you know, he, uh, he's done quite well for himself here in the States but uh, I don't know we had we had a lot we had a ball. We did. You were talking about earlier about some of your favorite harmonica players, like uh, past and present. Is there any of the young kids out right now that caught your eye that you thought this guy's going to be big? You know, there are there are several of those little guys, and, and I don't know. Uh, I don't know them by name. Uh, Kim Wilson, my buddy, does know some of them. And, uh, you know, there's always... In music, there's, or any art, there's always going to be somebody that comes up when you least expect it and when you think that you've seen everything. Here comes here comes the guy from Hawaii playing Hendrix on the ukulele. Yeah. <laughs> so you just never know what's going to happen. That's one of the fun things about it. You know, there's always somebody lurking back there that nobody knows about, but it's going to be a big in the next few years. Just going to be that way. Out of all the songs you've written, which one do you feel you're the most proud of? Oh, I haven't written very many. <laughs> I kind of... Uh, I, I I like this is so badly that I, I it was a co-written thing with Buffett. I basically wrote it in the back of a bus, missing my my wife back in Nashville during that point in the seventies. Jimmy sort of helped me figure, stick, you know, finish it. And, uh, I'm real proud of that one. Big Rig was a song that was on Havana Daydream, and it was about kind of one of them things about missing home again. Uh, uh, it I wrote it more like a bluegrass song, a country song. And when we did it in the studio with Jimmy for Havana Daydream, it turned into more like a funky kind of R&B deal. But this is, the, this is the great thing about it. I preferred it more country. And there was a, uh, a great bluegrass band. They were all like professors from Washington, D.C., and they were great bluegrass players. And, and they... 
on one of their little albums, Cut Big Rig, and they did it exactly like I, I had written it originally. What was their name again? The Seldom Seen. Seldom Seen. And it's like seldom and then S-C-E-N-E, like a scene. Uh, and uh, I was real proud of that one. Uh, when they cut it, that was, that, I, of course, nobody, not many people heard it that way, but uh, I, I was uh, I was happy somebody got it. <laughs> but anyway, there's a lot of great harmonica players that, that a lot of the a lot of people just don't know about you know like Junior Wells and there was a guy named Papa George Lightfoot that was just like completely off the wall he was from like around he was from Natchez Trace Mississippi around Natchez and uh, he's still one of my heroes he, he blew more like a trumpet this phrasing and also my old good friend uh, who just passed away uh, I called him my dad he called me his son was uh, Sam Myers uh, great harmonica player. He used to play drums with Elmore James in the fifties. Just an incredible style of harmonica. He, he it was really much more like a trumpet or a horn, and, and he taught me how to do that and think in those terms. And uh, anyway, so we had Sam for a long time. He finally got sick, got old, and died recently. But we, uh, all the people, all the blues players in, in Jackson. And, surrounding parts of Mississippi came down for the funeral and we all did uh, our favorite Sam Meyer song and it was good it was a good tribute he was important to song and uh, you know it's like Junior Wells man he was a great great blues harmonica player with his own style he, he you know he, in his later years played a lot with uh, uh, Buddy Guy they, they used to go together but anyway uh, Junior passed uh, a couple of years ago Oh, getting old. We're next. I'm next in line. Me and my, me and my uh, buddies. <laughs> Somebody told me about this thing called Fingers Taylor and the Lady Fingers. Yes. Tell me about that. I'm so intrigued. Well, we were doing a tour. I don't know which one it was. I'm not even quite sure. It was in. It was in the '80s. And Jimmy wanted me to open the shows for the tour with an all-female blues band and call it the Ladyfingers Review. <laughs> so I said, well, that sounds fine to me. I said, I'm not going to ride on the bus with them. <laughs> they'll, they'll gang up on you, man. But uh, I uh, opened the shows. They were all really good players. Guitar, Debbie Davies on guitar, Janet Magnus, uh, who's a real popular blues singer in L.A. now, has been for years. It was a real good, uh, good crew of, uh, of players. They were female, and it was a kind of a you know a gimmick, but they they held their own in any arena, especially playing blues. Are there any live recordings that survive? No, I don't know. Maybe some. There's got to be. There's, there was a lot of film taken. Yeah. In the last couple three decades, you know, and um, I'm sure they've got some uh, some some lady fingers. Uh, somewhere, somewhere. <laughs> so, what do you look for in a woman? In a woman? <laughs> yeah, I'm serious. Money. <laughs> no, man. I don't know. But I like down home girls. I like southern girls. I like. I, I like it. That's what I like about the south. <laughs> that old song. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, yeah, you know. I, I'm in, in my older age. I have uh, uh, grown attracted to older women. I didn't think I ever would because I was always like going for the young girls and my younger days. And uh, love each and every one of them that I spent time with, lived with, married, whatever. But nowadays, you know, I see the old gals over there, and I go, you know what? I'm an old guy. You know, I need, I need to, I need to stay with my own kind. You know what I mean? <laughs> I've got a couple of real good ones that uh, take care of me wherever I'm at. When you're not when you're not playing blues, and we've talked so much about the music side of you, uh, you know, I know that you uh, you were a journalism major. Well, tell us about some of the other things you do, like when, when you're not playing music, like things that I do for hobbies. You mean? Yeah, like hobbies exactly. I I have a I have a gigantic. Uh, CD and record collection, and I, and I love to make uh, compilations for my friends. Yeah. You know, who are, you know, it's kind of what I like to do. And I, yeah, I don't do it for money or anything. I just do it to turn people on to music. Yeah. That's all I ever wanted to do. I think in the first place. I, uh, if I could be a DJ for the rest of my life, I think I'd be more than happy playing blues. And you know, who knows? Maybe one day I'll get one of them serious radio gigs. Yeah. I'll tell you. I- I love it. I do too. I, it's I so much fun. Yeah, I, I love. You know, like I said, I'm sure you do too. Like turning people on to stuff they haven't heard and you think they might like it, and even if they don't like it, well, at least they heard it. You know? You're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong, you motherfucker. <laughs> well, fingers. This program, thanks to technology, goes out all over the world. So my question for you, Mr. Greg Fingers Taylor, the Harpoon Man. The man with the movement below the belt. The man who can. What would you, Fingers Taylor, like to say to the world? Y'all quit feuding and fighting. Get rid of your bombs. Try and figure it out. Trim back on them religions a little bit, and we won't have so much trouble. <laughs> well, Fingers, thank you very much. Right. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. Indeed. Boobopery. A booba shy, a gina petita lock, seek a to get con, con, dig it, pot a cool licky. Ay, yeah, nakashi, that boy, you got this little wonky cheek along. Take on some camp top to leave a deca party cheek up, mung, goodbye.